and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Spotify and Anchor FM. And this is me, Warren Landis. I am your host and Bible teacher here on Anchor FM and uh, Spotify, <laughs> our program called Sunshine USA. I couldn't think of the name of the program there for a moment. <laughs> it's Sunshine USA. And uh, that's been the name of our program here for the past 10 years, now going on 11 years and so. I guess it's just old age kept catching up with me, folks. <laughs> but I am glad to be here with you um, today. As with all the other broadcasts that we do, our purpose is to, number one, reach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and number two, to teach the Bible to God's people. When I uh, started this uh, broadcast a decade ago, I, uh, like I say, was appalled at the relatively little amount of Bible that most Christians knew. I found that many Christians didn't know the Bible that well. And even for Christians that knew what they believed, most of it was a belief that had been handed down to them from their parents or grandparents, and they really didn't know for themselves what they believed or why. And so I felt a Bible teaching ministry such as this, Sunshine USA, is very, very important. And unfortunately, uh, we don't have a lot of doctrine being taught in churches today. I, I was talking to someone yesterday at church, as a matter of fact, uh, about the fact that in so many of our churches today, there is an incredible lack of Bible doctrine being preached. Now, fortunately, uh, I go to the San Susie Church here in Greenville, South Carolina. We have a great pastor who does a great job preaching the Word of God. But many churches are not so fortunate. They have pastors who want to preach a watered-down gospel. They have pastors who want to tell the people what they want to hear and not what they need to hear. They try to stay away from controversial issues because they don't want to run the people away and they want to draw as many people to their church as they can. But I think it's very, very important that we know how to uh, correctly teach the Word of God and that we take a courageous stand for the Lord. Uh, one of the greatest dangers, and I heard this on a sermon just this past uh, weekend. I listen to sermons practically every day of my life. Hardly a day goes by that I'm not listening to a sermon, either on radio or online or in person. And um, I heard a sermon yesterday by a preacher who was saying that one of the greatest dangers the church faces today is the danger of worldliness being allowed to seep into our churches. Uh, many churches feel that they have to be like the world in order to attract the big crowds. I totally disagree with that. I totally disagree with that. Because there's a lot of things that are okay as far as the world is concerned, but not okay where God is concerned. 
And so we have to be willing to take a stand on the Word of God and not go along with everything the world says. And besides, uh, look at it this way. Look at it from the perspective of the unsaved person. The unsaved person is going to say, well, if you're like me, then why do you want me to become like you? <laughs> there needs to be a very distinctive difference. Uh, for example, for me as a Christian, there are things that I will not do or places that I will not go because of the fact that I'm a Christian. You know? And then some of these are places that are fine as far as the world is concerned. The world doesn't see anything wrong with it, but I see everything wrong with it. Because you see, as a Christian, I have to stay away from things that are not in line with what the scripture says. For example, now let, let's get down to earth a little bit here. Let's unpack this a little bit. <laughs> For example, as a Christian, I don't drink. I don't drink beer. I don't drink wine. I don't drink liquor. I don't have anything to do with alcohol. And the reason for that is I believe the Bible teaches me that it's a sin for me as a Christian or for me as a minister of the gospel to drink beer, wine, or liquor, or whatever. I don't do it. Now somebody asked me the other day, do you shop at grocery stores that sell alcoholic beverages? Well, uh, <laughs> I do, but now here's the thing. In America today, here in the United States, and even in my hometown of Greenville, South Carolina, it is very difficult to shop at a grocery store that doesn't sell alcoholic beverages, especially, uh, you know, someone like me, I don't have a car, I'm totally reliant on public transportation. So the thing about it is, um, if I want to buy groceries, I just about have to buy it at a store that sells alcohol. Even though my preference would be, if it were possible, to shop at a store that did not sell alcohol. Now, when I rack my brain right now, and I think about grocery stores, for example, in my hometown of Greenville, South Carolina, I can only think of one grocery store which, by the way, is an independent grocery store. It does not sell alcohol. But it's located, I think, about 10 or 15 miles from where I live. And without a car, I have no way to get there. But having said that, uh, I don't buy alcohol nonetheless. Now, in a way... This is not a bad situation, because by not buying alcohol, I'm telling that store that they can make a lot of money if they don't sell alcohol, <laughs> because I don't buy alcohol. Now, by the way, I'm convinced, I am convinced that if Christians made it a point not to drink, not to buy alcohol, 
we could put any number of liquor stores in this country out of business. But the reason they stay in business is because apparently so many Christians buy alcohol, regardless of what their church says and regardless of what they may publicly say they believe. But I know from my own personal example, if you were to come inside my apartment and look inside my refrigerator, you're not going to find any alcoholic beverages there. No, sir. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. These uh, bars and nightclubs, I don't go into these places. I don't patronize places like that. Because I don't feel like, as a Christian, that I should. I'm afraid that so many times today as Christians, we ask ourselves, how much like the world can we be and still be a Christian? The Bible indicates that as Christians, we are a peculiar people. <laughs> you know, the world may look at us as Christians and say, man, you're weird, you're strange. I don't get where you're coming from. But the Lord has called us to be different. The Lord has called us to be separated from the ways of this world. Now, by the way, this is the kind of preaching you won't find in many churches today. It used to be very common that preachers would bring messages on the sin of worldliness. And I'll be honest with you, I don't find too many pre preachers preaching against worldliness today. I think it's a bad thing when the music of the church and the music of the world are almost inseparable. Now, I realize I'm really stepping on a hornet's nest here. Now, I want to clarify the fact I'm not totally against contemporary Christian music. I listened to some of it myself. And back in my earlier days, I used to play contemporary Christian music on the radio. But one of the concerns I have about contemporary Christian music is the fact that some of it, not all of it, but some of it sounds way too much like the world. And um, I just think I have a problem with that. There ought to be something distinctively different about the music that we as Christians listen to. I have an even bigger problem with churches that see nothing wrong with playing secular music in the church service. To me, that is a big, fat sin. Secular music does not belong in the church. Let me say that again. Secular music does not belong in the church. Now, I can tell you as for myself, personally, I don't listen to secular music. The only kind of music I listen to is Christian music. Because that's the kind of music I'm going to have in heaven. Do you think there's going to be any rock concerts in heaven? I don't think so. Do you think there's going to be <clears throat> any country music uh, concerts in heaven? I don't think so. And by the way, if you look at the lyrics of some of these country music songs today, 
you'll see lyrics that are totally contrary to the Word of God. You know, a lot of times people that listen to country music, they don't mind telling you rock music is a sin. But man, I tell you, they love their country music. But wait a minute. Look at the country music. Some of the country music today has uh, lyrics in it that are totally contrary to Scripture. You know? When you have country music songs written about people that are cheating and lying and drinking and stealing and killing, man, I tell you, that's not Christian lyrics. And why would you as a Christian want to listen to anything like that? Because, believe it or not, we are influenced, our daily lives are influenced by the music we listen to. If you're listening to music that says something's okay, then pretty soon you're going to find yourself doing that something, whether or not it lines up with the Word of God. I remember as a young person, as a teenager, I went to a revival one time. And some young people got saved. These were young people that were very much into drugs and rock music. And you know what they did after they got saved? They had a bonfire. They went home and got all their country music albums and rock music albums, and they burned them right there in the church parking lot. Now, of course, this was such a bizarre event that obviously the local news stations, they rushed over to the church to see what was happening. I mean, they could not believe what was happening. But here they are, you know, uh, getting involved in all that. Covering that story. Because it was so unusual. But yet, that's the usual thing for us as Christians. When a Christian gets saved, they need to give up their old life. The things they used to listen to, the things they used to watch, the things they used to read... It's over. They do away with it. Amen. Now, now by the way, <laughs> you, you might be listening to this message right now and you say, Boy, Warren, I tell you, you, you're really hitting it today. Well, just remember that this is not the message <laughs> that I came into this radio studio to preach this morning. But once I turned that microphone on, all of a sudden the Lord laid it on my heart. This is something I have to say because the Lord wants me to say it. Now, you know, um, in um, the other broadcast that I have, I have one Bible study series that I do on Blog Talk Radio. I call it the Blog Talk Radio edition of Sunshine USA. And there, for the last two broadcasts, we've been talking about the sin of David and Bathsheba. And on the last broadcast in that particular series, I talked about Nathan, who was an Old Testament prophet. Now, we, we of course, don't know as much about Nathan, even though he was an Old Testament prophet, because he never wrote a book in the Bible. <laughs> Some of the other prophets, both major prophets and minor prophets, they wrote books in the Bible, not Nathan. You won't find any books of the Bible named Nathan. No. 
He's not one of the better known prophets, but he had a very difficult assignment given to him by the Lord. And that assignment was this. He had to go to David and confront David with his sin. That it was wrong for him to have an affair with another man's wife. And then he had the other man killed and then he takes that woman as his own wife. And Nathan had to let David know what you have done here angers the Lord. It's not right with God. Now, you see, this was a, a very dangerous assignment for Nathan. Because when you say something like that to the king, you're setting yourself up for all kinds of trouble, for all kinds of problems. Because you see, David could have had Nathan killed. Nathan, I mean, David could have had Nathan killed. David could have thrown Nathan into prison for the rest of his life. There's all kinds of bad stuff David could have done to Nathan because of what he did here. Now, fortunately, David did the right thing. He recognized the fact that he had sinned against God. And he admitted it. And he repented of his sin. In fact, if you read Psalm 51, in Psalm 51 we see where David clearly repented and got things right with God. And God forgave him. Now, of course, that's the good news. I can tell you, listening to this broadcast right now, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been doing it, God loves you and God offers you a complete full pardon. But, of course, along with that comes the admonition that you're to go thy way and sin no more. And David exemplified in his life and in his writings that indeed and in fact what he did was a sin, it was wrong, and he repented, and God forgave him. Don't ever think that you've sinned so much that you can never be forgiven. Don't ever think that you've gone too far for God to stop loving you. For God to stop forgiving you, he will. But you also have to acknowledge your sin and turn from that sin. And like I say, you know, you have to say hats off to Nathan here. Nathan was willing to do what the Lord told him to do, even though it was not popular, even though it put his life in peril, he did it. And for you young preachers that are out there listening to this podcast right now, let me tell you something. Sometimes you're going to be called on by the Lord to do things that are not popular. But you better do it if you want to please God. Amen. I mean, there's going to be times where you have to preach messages that you would rather not preach. The way I'm preaching right now, you won't find this kind of preaching in many churches around America today or in the world today. You just won't find it. 
Because too many preachers want to be people pleasers. They want to be positive, motivational speakers. So there is a lot of Bible doctrine they just skip over altogether. And that is not right with God. That is not right with God. Now, in the last broadcast we did, in this particular series, where we're doing basically a series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about uh, murder. And we talked about how this was wrong. And, of course, Jesus dealt with the underlying cause of murder. He dealt with issues like Hatred, for example. He dealt with issues like anger. Because where you don't have anger management, you have danger. <laughs> you know? I shared about this experience I had when I was in seminary. We had this one seminary student in fact, he worked at the radio station where I worked in New Orleans. But it was well known all over campus, this student had an anger problem. And so one day, me and some of his friends and some of his professors got together and we decided to do an intervention. We decided to confront him with his anger. And, of course, his comment was, I'm not angry. Don't get mad. And, of course, you know, he's saying this at the top of his lungs. And his very actions here, his very reaction here, proved that, yes, he had an anger problem. And one of the things we had to tell him was, look, this is a problem that's going to destroy you, your life, and your ministry if you don't bring it under control. We told him that if he didn't learn to get rid of this problem, it was a threat to his marriage, it was a threat to his ministry, and even a threat to his own personal freedom. So Jesus dealt with the cause of murder, which is anger. I also shared the story, I think, about a time when I went to youth camp. And we had a convicted murderer come and talk to our youth group. This particular um, preacher, I mean this particular murderer rather, told about the time he was in college student. And he got mad. They were playing a baseball game. And these two people, they got mad at each other. And this one guy took a baseball bat, beat the guy over the head with the baseball bat, and the guy died. And now he's doing a life sentence in prison for the crime of murder. And it all happened as a result of uncontrolled anger. Now, of course, as I pointed out last time, there are times when we as a Christian need to be angry. Look at Jesus, our prime example here. 
Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple. He drove the money changers out of the temple. He was angry. In fact, he got a horse whip, <laughs> and he used that horse whip to drive the money changers out of the temple. He threw over the tables, scattered their merchandise all over the floor. Was he angry? You bet he was. But yet, at the same time, he had justifiable reason for being angry with them. And that justifiable reason is the fact that they had basically taken Old Testament offerings and they had made a money-making business out of it. For example, um, you know, when you presented um, animals, they had to be a certain type of animal. They had to be without spot or blemish. And if you didn't have that kind of an animal, you had to buy one from the money changers. And of course, they sold you one at a huge profit. That's why Jesus said, you know, you've turned my house into a den of thieves. And a lot of times, if you had to travel a great distance to get to a service like this in the temple, uh, you didn't carry your animals with you because that would be too much of a burden. And so you waited till you got to the temple where you know, where you knew that you could do business with these money changers, and these money changers would sell you what you needed, albeit at a very huge inflated price. Now, by the way, murder is not the only way to kill someone. You can kill somebody with libel. You could say bad things about a person that are not true. And really, in that situation, you're just as guilty of the sin of murder as if you took out a gun and shot him. And sometimes, and this is where you as a preacher have to be very careful, sometimes even when you say things about people that are true, still, you are killing their reputation. Uh, down through the years, I have come to know many people. Many people have come to me for advice with their problems and with the issues they're having in life. And so I know a lot of things about a lot of people. I even know a lot of bad things about a lot of people. Amen. But the thing about it is, if I were to say these things publicly, I would be murdering them just as surely as if I took out a gun and killed them. So when Jesus talks about not being angry, don't kill, he's also dealing here with the sin of slander, the sin of libel. A good preacher will go to his grave with a lot of knowledge about people's lives that he's never divulged publicly, and that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Now, we come to verse 27, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. Now here I reiterate the fact that sometimes... 
we as preachers, we have to deal with subjects that we would rather not deal with. And this is where I start dealing with the message that I actually came prepared this morning to bring. Starting with Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. Now, one of the advantages about systematic verse-by-verse Bible commentary is the fact that it forces me as a preacher, it forces me as a Bible teacher to address subjects and topics that I would rather stay away from because they're just way too controversial. But I have to do what the Lord has called me to do. Verse 27, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman, the lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body shall be cast into hell. Now this is very powerful preaching here. Verse 27, he says, You've heard of old time, don't commit adultery. But here you see, Jesus is getting down to the root cause of adultery. And that root cause is something called lust. Jesus says that if a man looks at a woman and he looks at the woman lustfully, then as far as God is concerned, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart, even though physically he hasn't done it. This is pretty powerful. Now that, by the way, is why we as Christians have to be careful what we watch on television. We have to be careful what we read. We have to be careful about the kind of music we listen to. Because a lot of times it will lead us to think in ways and actually do things that are totally contrary to what the Word of God teaches. Then we go on to verse 30. And if thy right eye offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it's more profitable that one of your members should perish and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. Now, I think what Jesus is saying here is not that you should literally pluck your eyes out or poke your eyes out. I don't think Jesus is saying that literally. What he is saying here, we have to be careful what we watch. We have to be careful what we look at. It was very interesting, I heard one time, and I I think I might have mentioned this on another broadcast, but uh, I pointed out an illustration about Ted Bundy. Now, Ted Bundy is probably one of the most notorious serial killers this country has ever known, and certainly up to that point. And James Dobson, on his radio broadcast, was interviewing 
Ted Bundy in prison. And Ted Bundy pointed out that his problem all started with pornography. And and it wasn't with mainline pornography either. It's what he called the so-called soft porn. He started looking at women's magazines where they were selling merchandise of interest to women. And these magazines, of course, would have beautiful women in them, and he would lust after them. And then, of course, he would go into mainline pornography. He would buy pornographic magazines. And he would look at those pictures. But then he said it pretty soon got to the point where simply looking at the pictures was not enough. And that's when he started acting out the real thing. And that's when he committed these horrendous crimes such as rape and murder. And that's why Jesus says we have to be careful what we watch. We have to be careful what we look at. Because you see, if we're not careful, it's going to be our downfall. It's actually going to be our downfall. Then we go to verse 31. It has been said that whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a decree of divorcement. Now here, of course, Jesus is making a clear reference to the law of Moses. You'll recall that the law of Moses permitted a man, if he was married, to simply write his wife out a decree of divorcement and the marriage ended. Now, by the way, this was an option available to the man. It was not clearly available to the woman. All the man had to do is say, okay, here's your certificate. We're not divorced. Get out of here. I mean, that's what the law of Moses said. Now, bearing in mind, we talked about in an earlier broadcast how Jesus made it very clear, I have not come to destroy the law, but rather I have come to fulfill the law. And in this case, he had come to explain the meaning behind the law. But he says unto you, uh, let's look at verse 32, but I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife saving for the cause of fornication causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Now, um, Jesus points out here that from a biblical perspective, fornication or unfaithfulness, adultery, that would be the only biblical grounds for divorce. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that divorce has to take place because that has taken place. It just simply means that biblically speaking, it's permitted.
I have heard of stories of husbands and wives where one cheated on the other and the one who had been cheated chose to forgive rather than to seek a divorce. And that is certainly a good thing. Now, I will say that as a minister of the gospel, I have counseled a number of couples down through the years on the subject of marriage. And I have to tell you, there are some marriages that are probably not reconcilable. There are some marriages, in fact, that probably should not continue. Now, I've said something here very shocking, I'm sure, to many of you. You would expect me to say that divorce is something that never should happen. But we know it does happen in our churches today. If you took a survey in your particular church and you were to ask this question, how many of you have been divorced? And I want you to answer truthfully. I want you to answer honestly. You'll be surprised at the number of hands that would go up. So it is an issue that confronts our church today. Unfortunately, we have some pastors in this country that don't want to admit that this is a problem that exists in their congregation. I heard one time about a preacher that said, you know, we, we don't have divorce as a problem in our church. But you see, I knew his church probably better than he did. And I knew for a fact that there were several couples in his church where one or the other had been divorced and remarried. So it was probably a bigger problem in his church than he was willing to admit. Now, you know, when we start talking about divorce, obviously we talk about a very difficult subject. And a very controversial subject. We have many churches today where basically divorce is treated as the unpardonable sin. I mean, if you commit a, if you, you know, if you go through a divorce, you can't sing in the choir anymore. You can't teach a Sunday school class anymore. You can't serve on any of the committees in the church. You can't be a deacon. You can't be an usher. You can't do anything in the church if you're divorced. Basically, what churches like that have done, they have declared that divorce is the unpardonable sin, and that is a lie out of hell. It is not the unpardonable sin. I didn't say it wasn't a sin. I didn't say God loves divorce because he hates divorce. But it's not the unpardonable sin. Think about Jesus for a moment. The woman at the well in Samaria. When he gets to talking to her, she admits, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, yeah, I know. He says, you've been married and divorced five times, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. But guess what? He forgave her. He offered her the water of life. 
as far as Jesus was concerned, even in her case, she had not committed the unpardonable sin. Now I'm going to delve just a few moments into a subject area that we don't find talked about in too many churches, and that is the subject of marital separation. Marital separation. There are times when I think divorce would not be the answer, but maybe marital separation would be. Now, marital separation is really one of those areas that's not clearly dealt with in the Bible. It seems that in the Bible, a person's either married or divorced. But there will be times when divorce is not the best solution. But maybe marital separation is. For example, let's say you've got a wife and she's married to an abusive husband. The husband is beating up on her and threatening her and the children as well. That is a situation that has to come to an end. Now in that particular situation, if you apply the Bible literally, this person doesn't have biblical grounds of divorce, but they need to get out of that situation. This is one of those cases where separation would be probably the best option. Now, separation doesn't have to be forever, but you cannot allow yourself or your children to live in a home where violence is present. And violence would certainly be one of those issues that would result, I believe, in the necessity of marital separation. This is a situation where someone removes themselves from the home. They put themselves out of danger. But yet they do recognize that they're separated. And obviously this needs to be a time that both parties submit to prayer it might be that the situation is resolvable, and it might be that the situation is not resolvable. I remember one of the first couples I ever dealt with was a couple that had not yet been married. And yet, even during their dating relationship, the man in this case was extremely abusive, very argumentative, and they got into some shouting match, some shouting matches where anybody anywhere around could hear what was going on. And this particular woman had come to me for advice, and I said, well, you need to realize this man as he is now is probably the way he's always going to be. I don't really see him changing. And if you were to get married to him, 
he's probably going to be just as abusive after the marriage as he was before, if not more so. And I didn't mind telling her, I said, frankly, if you marry this person, I think you're going to be subjecting yourself to all kinds of physical danger. Now, one of the things that most pastors will learn is that when you give someone advice like that, a lot of times they're going to choose to ignore that wise counsel. And they will do what they want to do anyway. She went ahead and married this guy. And sure enough, this guy didn't get better. He got worse. Now, I know what a lot of women are thinking. <laughs> if they're dating a man who's not, you know, a Christian, a man who's living a very ungodly life, their thinking is, well, you know, I love this guy. And if I get married to this guy then I can be a missionary to him. I can lead him to the Lord. The problem is that's wishful thinking, and that rarely happens. Because usually, nine times out of ten, the ungodly person is going to be more of an influence on the godly person than the godly person is on the ungodly person. It doesn't usually work out. And then Jesus says, And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. Now, you know, I think there's a reason Jesus said that. Because let's say you're a man and you find yourself attracted to a woman that's been married before. If the two of you get married, you'll be surprised how much baggage she brings into that marriage from her previous marriage. And it becomes a poison to the new marriage. And that's why I think Jesus said it's better for one who is divorced to stay unmarried and not to remarry. I heard about a preacher one time that ended up in divorce. Now, you know, for those of you listening to this broadcast and you're going into the ministry, you need to realize ministers are not exempt from marital difficulties. Ministers are not exempt from marital difficulties. And I heard about this one church where the pastor's wife filed for divorce and left him and married another man. Now, since he was a pastor, this became a big issue in the church. Some people in the church felt that even though the divorce was not his fault, so to speak, that nonetheless the divorce disqualified him and therefore he should no longer pastor the church. His opinion, however, was a little bit different. His opinion was, yes, divorce is a bad thing, 
But on the other hand, on the other hand, as long as I don't remarry, I don't feel that I have committed a sin. And so I would say to those of you who are either going through a divorce or you have already been divorced, the best option you have is to remain unmarried. But if you do remarry, then of course, as Billy Graham said himself many years ago, he says, you can't unscramble eggs. You can't go back and undo things. You just have to make that commitment. Well, from this day on, I'm going to live as the Lord wants me to live. Now, I have to tell you something, folks. This message today that I have brought to you is brought to you knowing that it's controversial. Some of you will no doubt like what I have preached today, and some of you will not. But like I say, as a minister of the gospel, I have to preach what the Lord tells me to preach. Even though it may not be popular. But I also believe in what one of my home church pastors told me a long time ago. He says, preach the truth in love. It might be you're listening to this podcast right now and maybe... You've been divorced. Does that mean God quits loving you? No. God loves you dearly, just as dearly as he ever did. And God offers you forgiveness. Even if you're the guilty party, God loves you and he offers you forgiveness. As Jesus said himself, go thy way and sin no more. Go thy way and sin no more. And like I say, this is one of those messages, if I weren't preaching systematically through the Sermon on the Mount, I'd skip over this part. Because it's way too controversial, and I know that there's a lot of people that will not fully agree with some of the things I've said here. But also, I want you to take away the fact that God loves you dearly. God offers you a complete full pardon, a complete full forgiveness. Amen. And like I say, this this is not the sermon I brought you today. It is not one of my favorite sermons. I would almost rather preach any sermon other than the one I brought you today. But as a minister of the gospel, I have to be faithful to what God has called me to do. Well, once again, if you have any Bible study questions, if you have any prayer requests, I would love to hear from you. I have two email addresses, and that is the best way to contact me. My um, first email address is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. That's warrenlandis at yahoo.com. My second email address is warrenlandis at gmail.com, warrenlandis at gmail.com. And if you want to contact me by way of snail mail, you can do that too. 
My snail mail address is Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, that's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. It's Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, um, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And like I say, I love you. I pray for you. And my email is always open to you. My mailing address is open to you. Feel free to contact me anytime. I would love to talk to you. I mean, seriously. Because one thing God has given me, He's given me a love for everybody. The Bible says I'm even to love my enemies. Not only am I supposed to love my friends. Now, you see, that's easy to do. But now, when you talk about loving people that have said bad things about you, when you talk about loving people that have done bad things to you, man, I tell you, that's a whole different story. It's not so easy. But yet, that's what the Lord says we need to do. Amen. And right now, you might be thinking of somebody that needs to hear the message you just heard. And I hope that by whatever means possible, you'll do that. You'll share this message with them. Maybe you want to download it and put it on an MP3 flash drive and share it with them. That would be great. If they would like to contact me or you would like to contact me on this subject, I'd be glad to talk to you. My door is always open. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. I love you very much. And guess what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.